Welcome to the podcast. We are here for you. If you think that this is cool, then you need to choose. You sound like a jingle for like a pawn shop on Colfax. I was kind of modeling it or a used furniture. Yeah, like a '80s rock ballad or something. Really? Yeah, that's what I had in my mind. All right. Yeah. That was translated differently in my ears, <laughs> which is fine. Hey, it's the Word on the Hill podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. My name is Father Peter Musset, and we are so happy to welcome you to the sixth Sunday of Easter, also known as St. Philip Neri Day. But it's Philip Neri? Yeah. I love St. Philip Neri. Dude, so we- I really do. He does. And he who is without guile has no need for pretense. I love that quote. That's a good quote. It's a good quote, right? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, Somebody so, put that once on a birthday card for me, and it was one of the best compliments I ever got. Wow. Because I think they were applying it to me, maybe. I hope. I hope. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Scott, uh, were yes. you the one in our house? So we have a, a picture in our living room. Amazing. Of St. Philip Neri. And um, Scott has this like tin of uh, googly eyes. Oh, the googly eyes. We I won it at the. Well, I won it. I got it at the our white elephant Christmas staff party. And and it, and things got a little crazy. A little bit eyebally. <laughs> and uh, the googly eyes. And and so somebody on our portrait of Saint Philip Neri in our living room put yeah. googly eyes, and it's absolutely perfect. I think that was you. I put it on Mother Teresa <laughs> and on uh, somebody else, Saint Thomas Aquinas, perhaps. <laughs> And so, like every There's time people so come to visit for like a eyes. dinner or like a some event. Oh, over like here. when you have like benefactors. Oh or yeah, bishops. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and they see Saint Philip Neri with googly eyes. It is like it's absolutely a delight. Six Sunday in ordinary time. Acts no 15. Easter, Easter, Easter season. Oh, yeah. We're still there. We're still in. Dude, I have to tell you, Until I love Pentecost. ordinary time. Do you? I, so basically, I'm going to say everything's ordinary time. I have to tell you, the Office of Readings this morning was- um, Today being we, Thursday. We are um, members of every nation. Yeah. That uh, that though we look like we are, our, our citizenship is in heaven. So there's a certain true. universality. So it's on my mind of like, how are we all one? So yes, I acknowledge that you are not we American. We are one body, <laughs> one body in you are out of control today. I think it's you. <laughs> All right. Our first reading I think you're right. for the sixth Sunday of Ordinary Time is from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, and then jumping over almost the entirety of the Council of Jerusalem to verse 22 through 29. <laughs> no, that's, that's... It's true. It's, it's, it got messy. Sorry. Our, I get why the church did that. Yep. Responsorial Psalms, Psalm 67, <clears throat> yes. 2 to 3, 5, 6, 8, with the responsicle coming from number 4. <laughs> I always forget. Is responsible the made up thing that yep, you made up, yep, or that, is that the real one? What is the real one uh, that, that's based off of? Uh, it is the um, versicle. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Which sounds tastier, to be quite frank. <laughs> no, I got to tell you. A responsicle <clears throat> sounds way more like I, it's summertime I cooling does. down. No, I think a versicle sounds tastier. <laughs> okay. All right. Our second reading is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 10 through 14, and then jumping once again to verse 22 through 23. All the jumps take us to verse 22. Oh. That's weird. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the gospel according to John chapter 14, 23 to 29. <laughs> I was just curious how long you I know. I, I didn't even know. So, um, I mean, because I never get to do the gospel. and You uh, don't? Is I mean, that, do I usually do it? Yeah, because yeah, I just got there first. You were lazy today. I was lazy. So lazy bones. Yeah, John chapter fourteen <clears throat> twenty three to twenty nine. Um, so we're back in Acts of the Apostles. Yes, 
Uh, I hear Father Barron actually has a really great reflection connecting this to Isaiah. Um, oh. My parochial vicar, Father Sean Galvin, hooked me up and told me about that. But um, I'm going to let you... quote... I, I believe uh, Peter quotes Isaiah. I think that would be why, because I think he quotes it within the council. Oh. Um, we need to remember, for this for this passage to make sense, we need to remember the last couple of Sundays where we're coming from in Acts. Um, and you, oh my gosh, I actually totally forgot until just this minute this <laughs> joke you made at Mass on, oh, no. on Sunday. What did I say? You were talking about, we have a deacon from Montana who's being about to be ordained for the Diocese of Helena. <laughs> and, you know, Montana is kind of a, a more traditional, conservative, more rural sort of a state. And he's been in Boulder for the last year, of course. And Paul was stoned, and you made a joke about whether ever he's going to go back, and everyone's going to ask the same about him. <laughs> you made a stone joke, which was, which I feel is, like a third of the parish thought it was hilarious. A third were super uncomfortable, and a third totally didn't know what was going on because their kids <laughs> were screaming. It was the nine a.m. mass, but man, man, it was wonderful. I, I mean, that making, was weird. Making like uh, this is the age that you not, can actually make that joke. Not every priest could make a joke about being stoned in mass and actually have it be theologically, biblically, and culturally <laughs> applicable. But you pulled it off. Hey, man. Kudos to you. Believe for you, Father Peter. <laughs> all right. All, right. Like, all that being said. Totally out of control. So, okay, but, but that's important because <clears throat> remember what's been going on the last couple of weeks. Paul has been going on his, I think we've mainly been in the first missionary journey, as it's called. Right. As Paul's been going out uh, to these different places, preaching the gospel, starting with the Jewish people, because that's Paul's pedagogy. He always goes and tries to find his Jewish brethren first. He goes to the synagogues. He be, Because it's, it's, it's right and logical and reasonable that the faith begin with the Jewish people because that is where it comes from. They are the people of the covenants of the Old Testament. Jesus was Jewish. But it's meant the trajectory of Acts of the Apostles is to go outward from there. So he goes to the synagogue, and a couple weeks ago we were up in in Syrian Antioch, I believe, right? No, sorry, we are in Pisidian Antioch. So Syrian Antioch, remember, was his home base. So the Antioch that happens to be in Syria. Okay. That's where Paul's, like, central headquarters are. But last week or a couple weeks ago, we were up in, in, it's a region called Pisidia. So it's in present-day Turkey, right? And remember, he went up, he went to the synagogue, um, everybody fell in love with the message. They loved the preaching. And the next day, like tons more people came and they wanted to hear about this stuff because they, they, the power of the gospel worked, right? Absolutely. To this day. Which was a threat to those who were in power. It was a threat to the current religious leaders because all of a sudden Paul seemed to be having the sway over them. They were hearing, they were persuaded by his message, all these different things. And you remember everything goes crazy. They're threatened by Paul. They try to stone him. They leave him for dead outside the city. It's all, all of these troubles, right, are going on. Sounds like America. It, kind of. But that's our context, right, which is a really important context. Because what people are then upset about is that the gospel seems to be being proclaimed to non-Jews, and they seem to be being welcomed into the community, which is problematic. And I think not only that, but it's being done by Paul, who was, you know, it's kind of like, who were you? Who do you think you are? You were this Jewish, you know, teacher. You were this Pharisee. You were this guy doing all these things. And now you're, you're, you're just, you, you kind of think you're heading up the show. So... Um, this is a really important moment now. So it's Acts well, 15. Because, I mean, like up until this moment, I mean, we have to understand the import of like saying like, 
No, like, like you have to have a certain worldview to understand and to be able to actually process who Jesus is. Like, which Paul had. He had. That's what's that's what's kind of problematic here, and that's what's confusing. So what we read, and so just pretty pretty soon after where we've just been in the Sunday readings, we get to Acts fifteen one, which says, "Some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers." So these so people are coming from Jerusalem, right, from the place where the apostles are. And they're going to the places where Paul had been, where Paul had preached. And he said to these brethren, these people, unless you are circumcised according to the Mosaic practice, you can't be saved. So basically what's going on, you see this all throughout Paul's letters. This is a group of people that later later be called the Judaizers. Because what they're doing, they're probably from the fair. The, let, let's be clear about one thing. These are people who believe in Jesus. They think Jesus is the Messiah, is the Lord. They are Christian, but they're coming from a Jewish, probably a Pharisaic background. And so they're hearing like, wait a second, hold on. Paul, this Paul guy is now telling all of these Gentiles that they can be a part of the family of God without having to do any of the stuff that we all had to do. They don't have to keep the laws. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep kosher. They don't have to do any of this stuff. And so they go up and they're kind of going behind Paul's back and they're essentially saying things like, hey, you know, Paul, he's great. That's cool. He's a great preacher, but he totally misled you. And if you think you're going to be a part of the family of God, then you need to do all of these other things because this is what's expected of you. Which which is in this particular writing is summarized in the idea of circumcision. Exactly. That, so, that's so, like the, par, the, the, the marker of Judaism par excellence. Did they still have like... Pardon my French. Nude gyms is because, like, because, like, in the ancient world, I mean, that was actually part of the reality. Yes. Is that like the, the it gymnasium? Was a, it was a, the gymnasium. Was... The Greek world. This the, probably because we're still in the Greek. Well, it's Roman ruled, but the vestiges of the Greek culture probably still remain. So yeah, this would have been a thing. It would have been something that would have would been marked noticed. you. Yes. Totally. So 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 it's not Patagucci yeah. in this particular time. What uh, for? Like Patagucci at the gym? Like you got to have like the nice gym clothes. <laughs> oh, okay, like okay. like how do you, how do you fit in? All right, I get so, it. Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> you, but you, but you it might also take that out. it also is sort of shorthand though for all of the Jewish law for the six hundred and thirteen right. so something mosaic laws. Right, and so circumcision becomes just shorthand for all of it. Um, but the idea of Judaizers actually takes on a really negative connotation for most of the old, te- most of the new Testament. But this passage actually shows, well, what I want to sort of show in this passage is the reasonableness of what these people are saying, because what we have here is basically this group of people that are saying, wait, wait hold on. We understand, remember J- Christianity was never originally seen as some new religion, right? It was simply, look, the Jewish Messiah has come And he has fulfilled all these prophecies and he has saved us. And so if the idea is that Christianity is not a separate thing, it is just the fulfillment of Judaism and all of the covenants and all that God had been preparing us for, then it's quite logical that you would think, well, wait, if God is God and God is unchanging by his very nature and God commanded that we keep these laws of Deuteronomy and kosher and be circumcised and all these things, then if someone's going to be brought into the family of God, even if they're a Gentile, they've got to follow the rules. They've got to do the right things, right? You can't just, it's not like we would let somebody just come and show up for mass and not be baptized and just go up and receive communion and kind of do whatever they want to. Or a to. man no. who gets to wear a hat in the church. Like, like this is the thing is that... <clears throat> what? I mean, it's a tradition. Oh, just that, norms. Yeah, yeah, just norms. Yeah. Well, that's more of a norm, though. I mean, this is, we're talking like fundamental. We're talking like you have to be baptized to be a Catholic. Well, that's yeah. the level they're actually seeing this on. Right. And and culturally, 
people, the majority of a po any population anywhere around the world is going to have what we call continuity orientation. Okay. So they're going to yeah. have a, a, a particular <clears throat> sense that what is good and valuable is to continue what has been inherited from the past. Well, the, the, you're absolutely right, and and then you apply theological significance in the church, and then and then back in Judaism, there's theological significance to continue on with these practices, and it's and and so to defy that, well, it's more is, than that though. It's all is like power is like huge, but it's almost more just because they don't see any. Why would you not do this? Uh, that's a good it's point. not that they're trying to make an argument for continuity with the past. They're saying. Who do you think you are just deciding arbitrarily to change what we've always that's done? This is the point. way. And that's why I, I think we need to give some sympathy to this group because they're sort of portrayed as the bad guys in a certain sense, but they have a really good point. Right. And so it says, and I, li I like how Luke phrases this, because there arose no little dissension and debate. In other words, everybody was screaming at each other. People were There is a lot it. of dissension and a lot of debate. Paul and Barnabas with them decided that he, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others could go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. What's really important here theologically, there is a school of thought that Paul is sort of, um, well, there is a school of thought that Peter and Paul were sort of the antithesis of one another, that Paul is really the founder of Christianity in a lot of ways, and that uh, especially in the Protestant world, Paul is sort of championed in this way that sort of he is the one that really sort of gets the church moving. And there's a point, there's a, there's different points in which Paul and Peter seem to be at odds with one another. But this is a really important moment because what Paul, who is going out, preaching the gospel, actually doing the work of God, what he realizes is, okay, there's a big debate that's coming up. I cannot continue what I am doing unless I go down to Jerusalem to the Pope and to the magisterium and clear with them that what I am doing is correct. Right. He needs to go to Jerusalem with Barnabas and some others to submit himself to the teaching authority of the church, who are the Pope and the apostles, Peter and the apostles, and say, hey, are we okay here? And he's going with the, pre with the presumption that, yes, I'm in the right, but I need to show that I'm submitting to the church's authority on this because I can't move forward otherwise. Right. And so the, these schools of theological thought that kind of want to pit Paul against the apostles or Paul against Peter, they're wrongheaded because although Paul is a very big, strong personality, he makes it very clear that he has to submit. So he goes down to Jerusalem, and what we don't get, what's jumped over, is the huge controversy and debate that comes up over this question. Question Which we call the Council of Jerusalem. The first gathering of all the apostles, the bishops, and the leaders of the church. And they say, okay, we need to talk about this because basically what happens is this. They're saying these so-called Judaizers or the people who are coming down sort of sort of undermining Paul are saying, look, this is what God has taught us to do. Why on earth would we do something otherwise? Why wouldn't we circumcise them? Why wouldn't we ask that they keep the laws of Deuteronomy, like the cleansing laws and the kosher food laws and everything else? Why, if they're simply the continuation of what we've always done, why would God change on that? And what actually happens is that Peter now will stand up, and I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but he'll give testimony as to what happened back in Caesarea. Do you remember in chapter 10 of Acts? Pigs in a blanket. The pigs in a blanket thing. And he's like, look, guys, I'm with you. I'm hearing what you're saying, and you're right. However, when I was in Caesarea, I went up to that guy Cornelius, and I literally saw God pour out the Holy Spirit on this group of Gentiles, just like he did to us at Pentecost. 
And if God has decided he wants to pour out the spirit on the Gentiles and welcome them into the family without circumcision and without these other laws, then who are we to withhold the will of God or to withstand the will of God? That is the, I think, defining sentence to understand the Catholic understanding of the magisterium. Who are we to withstand the will of God? The job of the church, and this is something I did not get before I kind of came back to my Catholic faith and understood it. I thought the Catholic Church was in the business of making up teachings and kind of making up dogmas and doctrines and sort of establishing these things. That's not what the church does. The job of the church, the job of the magisterium is to look and see what God is doing in the world and conform ourselves to it. And so Peter says, look, whether we don't know Peter's feelings about this. Peter doesn't give commentary whether or not he thinks these Gentiles should be a part of the family of God or not. He simply says, look, I saw what God did. And we can't stop God's will. So if God decided these people are going to be brought into the family without circumcision and these other things, then that's what we got to do because we're following God's will. And, and then, but, but it's a particular group of people that have the authority to make that decision. Correct. And that's, exactly. That's, that's, and that's why the second half of the reading, what we yeah, see yeah, is, yeah, yeah. okay, now that we've established authority around this idea and around this, this expression. Well, it also, by the way, just on what you're saying before you move on, it says very, in, in what we skip over, it says explicitly when Peter spoke, everybody else was silent. All the debate, all the session was silenced. And the idea is when the Pope speaks authoritatively and definitively, that is the authoritative statement of the church. Peter's not arbitrary. His statement is what the church teaches. Right. And the rest of the New Testament is basically a gigantic fight over this issue, which is, I think, a really important insight because Peter speaks, the case is closed, that's an ancient saying of the church, right? The Pope Peter has spoken, the case is closed. But the ramifications of that are going to be really messy. And so the Pope made a declaration at the first church council. Everyone says, okay, this is what we're going to do. But Paul's going to spend the rest of the New Testament fighting all of the people who don't seem to understand what Peter said, which the, the take home from that is that historically speaking, every time the church has held a council, there's roughly 100 years of fighting and arguing about it after the council is held. And I was total it was confusion. 50. I thought it was 50. 50 is like the crazy. 50 is the cray, but there's about 100 of, of just kind of fighting. Because a church council, when the church declares something, it gives you a chance to fight about stuff. Right. So if you think that the church has kind of been losing its mind a little bit for the last, I don't know, 50 or so years now, we're in pretty good company historically because this is kind of what happens. And... Peter de declares this, and, and Paul's going to still need to keep fighting this. But the church's teaching and position is clear from this point on. And then, and then what happens is that once that authority is established, you either are in the authority or out of the authority. Because it says, it's exactly like, right. here we are, there's a bunch of people who have upset you with their teachings and disturbed your peace of mind. We have with one accord and, decided to And they're to writing choose. that to these Gentiles who have now become Christian up in Antioch, right? Right. And so we're going to send you some folks. And the truth is, is that we're going to actually disciple you into this. Exactly. This is, this is actually a personal expression. We're going to send you Paul and Barnabas and we're going to like go through. Silas and Judas, actually. Oh, Silas and Judas. They've yep. got, they ha see, this is part of what's interesting. And I wonder how Paul felt about this. They had Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were the ones who taught them this. And then a bunch of other people came in and undermined them and said, no, 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 Paul and Barnabas lied to you. So now the church, the apostles are sending Judas and Silas, these other people, basically to say, look, what Paul and Barnabas said, it's legit. 
trust us. We're from the Vatican. Like we're, we're yeah, it's the equivalent of somebody coming right. to St. Tom's and being like, no, I'm from the Vatican. I've got the authority of the Pope. Yeah. Whatever father Peter said, whatever crazy thing he said in his homily last week, it's legit. It's cool. It's been cleared with us. So it's this addition of credibility to what they're saying. Right. And it says, we're not going to put any, any burden, <coughs> namely to abstain uh, 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 beyond these necessities. So these that, three things, right? Which is which is like really important. It's because we're saying like no circumstance, circumcision isn't this, but we still have boundaries to what it looks like to be able to be faithful believers. Well, these three things are really interesting, and there is actually another insight into these three sort of uh, and and James. In again, what we skip, it's the apostle James who is the who is the bishop of Jerusalem, who suggests the addition of these three things. And basically, again, what they're saying is look. We, all of these laws that the Pharisees heaped on top of you, we have, nobody's been able to follow these things. And they also also make the determination that things like circumcision, the kosher food laws, these were temporary things that God imposed on us because of our sin, because we couldn't live in the grace of God the way that we were meant to. Now, the grace of Jesus Christ has allowed it. However, even though we are free from the burdens of these temporary laws of Deuteronomy, like circumcision, like kosher food laws, like these things, the reality is the gospel is going to go out to all of these far. We are going to the ends of the earth. Part three of the of the Acts of the Apostles is now about to happen. Right. And as the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth, we're going to encounter a lot of Jewish brethren. Right. We're still going to go to the synagogues because that's... That's home for us. That's where the church begins. And when we go, there's going to be a lot of Gentiles who are thrilled that they have been accepted into God's family. However, those Jewish people that are realizing, oh, wait a second, we're not the only game in town anymore. We don't want to actually ostracize them either. And so there's three things that are just going to be seen as absolutely un... They're not going to be able to swallow these things, right? This idea of meets idols, right? Idols are, you can't have idols. I mean, that, that's always and everywhere wrong. Which is, but which s- is, by the way, very hard in the ancient world because ha- it, it's a big it's, deal. It's the whole restaurant culture. Yes. Yeah. Like, right. Right. Ba- basically what you would do is you'd bring something and then you'd go to Athena's, they'd right. sacrifice it and there'd be a big meal. And right. so like, it, it's basically saying like, you can't go down the street and just go to the, your local restaurants. True. This, this actually doesn't work anymore. It's meanings you have to change your social your social uh, life. Right. You because have to it's make covenantal. some sacrifices. Because your Jewish brethren, who are also meant to be a part of the family of God, are going to see this and it, it's not going to, they're going to be so turned off by this. We're going to lose souls. Same with strangled animals, which seems so random. But there was actually a delicacy in the Palestinian world, in the ancient world, where they would strangle animals when they killed them for food as a way of keeping the blood inside because it actually made the meat juicier. It was, it was a culinary technique. But because Judaism held this strict prohibition from eating animal blood because the blood was where the life was. Right. They were like, look, this is kind of a neutral Wh- thing. Which is why we have the Eucharist. Exactly right, because that's where the life is. Right. But this animal thing, even though it's kind of neutral, if you want your steak juicy or not, they were like, look, it's going to so turn off our Jewish brethren just sacrifice it for them. This is not a moral universal. This is not a moral absolute, but we're asking you to make this sacrifice so we don't lose more souls. And then 
uh, unlawful marriage, that has to do with closeness. That was like marrying your cousin, which, again, was acceptable in the ancient world, but is unacceptable according to Jewish teaching. There's just certain things the church is saying that we need to be conscious of sacrificing for one another so that everybody possible can be brought and kept in the family of God because that's what he wants. So will you do, even though we're dispensing you, we're releasing you of the burdens of the Deuteronomic laws, will you sacrifice these three things for the sake of winning the rest of your brethren who you don't even know yet, which for, is kind of beautiful for real cultural, for real cultural understanding. Yeah. I was going to say interpretation. Like, yeah. like we actually need an, inter- because what we're dealing with is we're dealing with, the um, fundamental re-understanding of what the world is. Yes. So we need a, an interpretive community yes. that's on the same page to yeah. say, no, we're actually together interpreting what the world means now. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and so out of these three things, we actually have to get onto the same page. And these are, you know, it, it's almost like we're phrasing these as the, in the same zone as temporary restrictions. It's absolutely right because because now I mean I I don't care about strangled animals I don't really I don't care anybody, about I don't my, think the church does either I mean but this it, is but it shows how much the church cares about our everyday lives right it be it would be like a setting a restriction saying like you cannot eat GMO food you actually have to just eat organic we're gonna have to all go gluten free. I mean, because wherever you are is going to so turn off people that they won't hear. It's this question of what are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? Paul talks about this all the time. Right. Do you remember we have a lot of friends who back in the early days of Focus, Fellowship of Catholic University students, went to this, this, it was our first Southern, Focus's first Southern campus. We've talked about this story, right? I can't remember. Um, when they went to this this campus down in the south, it was in the Bible Belt, you know, really heavily evangelical oh, yeah, area. Yeah, I remember this. They now. all made this kind of team pact that they would not drink alcohol. Because not because alcohol was wrong. It's not immoral. It's fine. But they knew that if all these Bible Belt Christians saw these Catholics drinking alcohol, they would totally write them off. They wouldn't have, hear a word they had to say. So they said, while we are on this team at this campus, we will sacrifice this so that right. maybe ears will be opened to the message. Right. It's that idea. What are you willing to give up? The, you have a, Paul talks a lot about rights, and Americans were huge on our right. I have a right to do whatever I want to. But then the Bible asks, what, are you, what rights are you willing to give up to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel being heard? And of course, the, the reasoning for this is what is we get the in the psalm. responsorial psalm, right? Let all the nations praise you. How do they do that? Well, all the nations will praise you if we're willing to die to ourselves so that they can hear the message of the gospel through our lives. May the nations be glad and exult because you rule the peoples in equity. Yes. The nations on the earth you guide. Yeah. It's saying like, no, no, like we acknowledge in some way, the, like when you adapt yourself to a culture... In the right ways. In There's, the, all, all, of course, bad adaptations. Right. Immoral adaptations. Right. In moral We're talking ad- about neutrals. We're talking about moral neutrals here. Right. And like, when you adapt yourself into a culture, then people say, like, oh, hold on, you receive the good that I have. Yes. And we say the semini verbi is real. That yeah. in some way, in some percentage... Yeah. The Holy Spirit has been active in all cultures of all time, preparing the way for Jesus Christ. So yes. when you become reverent to a culture, yeah. then you, you know, you're not going around India, you know, eating sacred cows. Cause just because just, I can. Cause, cause I got some McDonald's on my mind, you know, <laughs> like it doesn't, it, it doesn't actually, it doesn't work. No, right. you actually say like, it's neutral. I don't care about the cow or not cow. So I can give it up. Right. So that you can hear something greater. Right. So that we can actually talk about the, uh, 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 and I can invite 
invite you in the interpretive, interpretive community to say, no, welcome to the ability to see the world and creation as it really is meant to be seen, but what as it, in the graces of God. And what it's doing is actually seeing the other person. Right. And saying, oh, I actually am empathetic enough to understand you enough to know that that's actually going to turn you off. Like, you're, you're not going to be able to hear me. Right. Because of these things. But that requires actually seeing someone and reverencing the other person. Right? And may all the ends of the earth fear him, fear him, respect him, reverence him, saying right. like, like I acknowledge the Be power of, of God. Him. Yeah, exactly. And saying like, oh, wow, ju- I can see him and he can see me and we're going to know each other because right. the Holy Spirit will be given. Because you know what? The reality is, I think there's very few people in the history of the church. I'm sure there's some. There are very, very few intellectual Christians. And by that, I don't mean Christians who are intellectual, but people who came to faith in Jesus Christ through reading enough books or through studying enough theology. Most of us came to know Jesus Christ through another person. Right. Right. It's through the witness of someone else. It's not an abstraction. Right. But when we make it abstract and don't reverence and see the other person, that's why... Our age is, I think, a particularly dangerous age because we live in this age of virtual stuff and social media and everything where we actually don't have to engage the person of another. And that's why we're all at each other's throats. And that's why we can't respect and reverence one another in our culture because we don't see one another and we can't love one another. I see you, Scott. Thanks, Father Peter. I see you too. (laughs) But that's actually a segue I didn't expect with Revelation because I didn't actually see us going this way. But but this is interesting. So Revelation, it actually also picks us up from where we left off last time, which is, so Revelation's crazy. It's it's this. So remember how I keep on singing that weird, like, I think that there's a reggae song with the word Revelation in it? (laughs) Yeah, I do. It's a, there's a line in a Modest Yahoo song. (laughs) Who? Modest Yahoo. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's how you say it, but it's like a singular word, modest Yahoo. Okay. And uh, yeah, and he just says revelation in in his uh, in one of his songs on "Come Be My Light" or "Lights." He's a, he's a uh, he's a Jewish um, rapper, pop musician guy. It's some good stuff. Modest Yahoo. Yeah. Like modest, like. Doesn't um, wear bikinis, modest. Uh, no, I like, can't what, what, spell I, it. I don't. No, know. I'm just. I'm, I'm okay. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, I'll, and we I'll, all will look it up, Father Peter. That's our homework. King, it's okay. Without a M A T I S Madas Madas Yahoo Y A H U. Oh, well, I'll check him out. You don't know Madas Yahoo? No. Yeah, Madas. I'm Yahoo. sorry. Now I feel like you've lost some respect for me. I do. I have. That's okay. So I can but, deal with it. But yeah, he always sings about Revelation. So now we, I can feel at peace because it's not some sort of weird reggae. It's song. been three weeks of not feeling at peace. That's yeah, a I, big deal. It's a long time, man. I, I, I my soul is tender. So Revelation is this book that, according to the church's understanding, people don't realize this. Now, we haven't, we've been talking about Revelation for the last few weeks, but I haven't mentioned this. Revelation is this book that the church believes is primarily, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily about events that have already taken place. So everyone thinks about Revelation as this book about all the future, like what's going to happen at the end of the world and all this stuff. The bulk of the book of Revelation is John, who is speaking, who is praying the liturgy, saying the mass, getting a heavenly spiritual insight on the events of Calvary and the spiritual significance of this earthly event that took place. And he's seeing it from a new perspective. Okay. Now, at some point in the book, that actually changes. And it does become a future looking book about what will happen like in the end, the eschatological. 
Yep. Not scatological, but eschatological. <laughs> yeah. Right? Looking yeah, toward the end that's times. A very, that's a, different a very kind of a different kind of a book, yeah. And this, at the end of the book, this is the period that's looking ahead. So if we understand, basically what it's saying is, if you understand the reality of what Jesus did, not just some guy who was an itinerant preacher from an impoverished background who died on a cross, having committed treason, according to the empire. But no, if you actually see him as the high priest entering the Holy of Holies, giving himself as the spotless lamb, all these things that you don't see from the early perspective, if you actually understand that, then we can look ahead to what that means. Right. And where we kind of land today is in Revelation 21, the famous passage about John's vision of the new heavenly Jerusalem. And I think I mentioned this last time, and I think this is a huge deal. Um, Christians are often accused or have historically been accused of being escapists because often Christianity thinks about, wrongly so, Christianity thinks about the world as this place that just stinks and is full of sin and You kind of got to Houdini it. Yeah, and eventually God will just sweep us all away and we'll go float off on the clouds and we'll be rid of all this stuff. That's not Christianity. That's actually heretical. What we believe is that God is recreating everything, our bodies, his body through the resurrection was the new creation. It's the first insight into the new creation. But there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And the, the movement of the Bible, rarely in the Bible do you see people floating off into heaven. Almost always you see heaven coming down. Because what heaven wants to do, this is the incarnation. Heaven touches earth. Heaven kisses earth. This is what we believe about the liturgy, which is why it's significant that Paul is actually saying the ma- I'm sorry, John is saying the mass during Revelation because this is the moment that heaven literally kisses earth. And so in this vision, what he sees is in the end, the new heavenly city, the holy city of Jerusalem came down out of the clouds. It's descending to us because so much of the world religious world religions are about man trying to attain God, man trying to get man's search for God. But Christianity is about God's search for man. Mm. It's not about us looking someplace on the high mountain, seeing if we can see God. It's about God coming to us, which is, this is fundamental. So that's why this vision matters, because what, what the end, what the eschaton, the end times will be, is the veil being lifted. And we say, oh, that's where God has always been in my life. That's where God has always been at work in the world. Oh, that, that piece of bread that I've been receiving every Sunday. Oh, I see it for what it really is. I see him for whom he really is. It's all that. So this it's, vision. It's, it's this experience. It's the interpretive community. I mean, like, why do people come and go to spiritual direction? Because they're trying to understand how is God actually acting in my life? Right. Why do I go to confession? How do I actually understand how how um, God actually wants to redeem even those parts of my heart that I feel shameful or st- are struggling with in, in like the midst of it? Like an interpretive community. I yeah. I had a weird experience to where like all like I've had all these like my car battery and my motorcycle wow. battery die. <sighs> And I was like going to go replace a car and I was looking to buy a new one and I went and I tried to buy it and, and the battery died on the <laughs> brand new cars I was trying to buy. It, so I didn't buy the car because I was like, ri- that's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. And that's, but, but it's, it's like, no, I, I immediately called a friend and I said, what does the battery mean in my life? Mm. Because I actually want to understand, I need an interpretive community to be able to actually pierce through the veil, but there's going to come mm. this moment where it's just entirely accessible. Yes. Where, where in the midst of in the interpretive community, like, like that God is at the center so clearly that 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 and the 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 like the value of absolutely everything that is. It's it's the yeah. same question that you and I 
continually pose was it not necessary like mm-hmm. what didn't the things that i go through in my life were they not necessary for mm-hmm. me to actually enter into the redemption that was that was jesus christ seeking for my life what if this whole thing is a love poem even the things that are hard and and seem are seemingly so painful what if this is just a gigantic poem written in love for me and that's Absolutely. like that's what you and i are actually trying to get to as we're looking at these scriptures as we're yeah. saying like oh that's what we're trying to pierce through the veil in any small little possible way we can Mm. even in the midst of the liturgy saying like even the way Mm. that all of these readings are structured are meant for our transformation and our salvation absolutely and so so it's coming down to us it's god's search for us and like and so so if we were to just imagine for a second and like see a vision of what does this city look like this place of chance encounter of, of really because the city's about encounter what does it look like well everything is totally purified and the most amazing things that you could ever imagine it's like transparent aluminum you know i mean sorry transparent gold that was from um star trek so ah, of course you know the star trek the whales that was how it was written on the vhs tape because we could <laughs> i think my parents could remember the number of it so it was like it's like what's the formula for transparent aluminum as um the the russian guy would say uh check off so, I don't know. You mean old Star Trek? Yeah, old Star Trek. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But but no, this is transparent gold, which is even cooler. Well, it's interesting though what what it says here. So <clears throat> as the city is coming down, yeah, it says like you said, it gleamed with the splendor of God. Its radiance was that of precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. Had a high wall. It goes on to actually describe that, but it's interesting. If you kind of take the trajectory of all of salvation history as a whole, what do you have? You have the beginning. You have the garden. The garden was meant to be a macro temple. It was meant to be God's presence among us. And because of our sin and our pride and our fear and whatever else played into that, our first human ancestors actually blew it. They threw it away. And so God became distant. And then you can follow the trajectory of then God distances himself from Adam and Eve. They're out the gate. Just like Um, the Numenorians. I don't know what that means. That's okay. For those who understand, they will understand. For they those who understand. have ears to hear. <laughs> Let them hear. Yeah. And then God goes into a tent, and he still dwells with us, but he's in a tent. And then that tent has walls around it and becomes a tabernacle. And then the tabernacle becomes a temple. And the story of salvation history is about God's presence becoming more and more distant and distant and distant and distant from us. Right. Until the point that everything flips on its head, the temple is destroyed, and then eventually God comes back in a, in a way that, in a manifestation where we even receive him into our bodies. And then we see at the end of the story, what do we see? The city coming down, the story that began with the first human couple and a river that flowed through Eden and a description in Genesis of all the stones that were in the river that flowed through Eden. Those stones have now been harvested and placed on the heavenly city that's descending from the sky. And so it means human beings have rightly been gardeners. We've used the things of the garden and we've built them into a city, not in the selfish sense of the Tower of Babel kind of a story, right? But in the sense, I mean, what is the greatest Jewish good? It is a couple becoming a family and that family becoming a community and the community becoming a city. So we've grown from a couple to a city, because that is the greatest good. The idea is the more people you have to share life with, the better. And so this is, <coughs> excuse me, the logical fulfillment of all of human expectations that this garden has now been harvested and built into a city, but it is still a city that is a garden. And all of these things are purified and the stones are now on the walls of this city. And we are actually together because it's better that we are together with each other because it's better to be together than alone. And then you have this statement that the gates are all opened, which I immediately think of the gates of Eden 
being closed to Adam and Eve because of their sin and their fear of God and their selfishness and their pride. Now the gates are still there, but they're opened. And I was thinking this morning, actually, about the nature of the gates, because this city that doesn't have a temple, because now it's a macro temple again. What is the temple? It's the place where God dwells. Now God dwells with us in the city. And, and so, we, so much so we don't even need a temple. We don't need a temple because it is the temple. The whole thing is the temple. Like Eden was meant to be a temple. Right. And the gates are open. Well, what gates are open? Why do you have gates? You have gates to keep people out, to keep out people who are threatening to you. And I was thinking about the fact, not just that the gates are open, because now the people are welcomed in. We actually are in union with each other. We're loving one another. It is the church, Gentiles, Jews, foreign nations, all of us together again. But I was noting the fact that the gates are still there. So why would you have this place of union, of community, of family, of city that still has gates? But the gates are open. Strange. As this sort of, but I was reminded, and I could be off on this, but I kept thinking of, well, is it similar? Is there an analogy to why Jesus keeps the scars on his hands and his side and his feet? The wounds remain as a reminder that the wounds actually brought us the glory. And this city reminds us the gates are swung open, but it's important for us to remember that the gates were there because of the evil that had happened. And now they're opened as a reminder that we have something that we never had before, which is not only access to God, but communion with one another. Mm. We are not a threat to one another anymore in this eschatological vision. And it's because God's presence abides among us. He has tabernacled with us. This is the first line of John, right? God tabernacled among us. He made his dwelling with us. This heavenly city doesn't have a temple because the city is the temple. Because we all also are temples. Because we're together. But the gates are there to remind us of what used to be and has now been defeated. Mm. I don't know. That's just the thought that I had on that. Well, I just think it's beautiful because it, it's, <clears throat> it's the integration of all things, even, yes. even in the past. It's, the, it's that beautiful integration. I mean, that's, that's why as a jeweler, when I look at the vision of the heavenly Jerusalem, I look and I and I say, the, the, one of the fun things about being a jeweler is that you're dealing with the most precious substances that exist on the planet. Yeah. You have got you got platinums, you got golds, you have all of the palladium, you have like all of these things that you're taking and you're shaping, as specifically as a liturgical jeweler, hmm. when you're actually forming these solid gold things into chalices to hold the most precious thing, because it's mm. saying this is actually a lesser reality than what it contains. Than what it contains. Yes. So, so as you're seeing all these jewels, it's mm. not about the city isn't about the city itself. Right. Exactly. It's, it's about actually what's contained within the midst of it. So it's, it's mm. saying as a community, we're taking up the full vision of the world from the, the depths of creation and the formation of jewels and the mm. earth and the, the creation of gold. And we've allowed it to become forged into this place of encounter Yeah, and that it's submitted to actually the encounter with God, the one who loves the, the bride and the, the bridegroom and the bride are actually encountering and it's, it's submitted to that reality. So, yes. so, but, but it even contains the history of all of it. That's what it all so, matters. Right. It all plays a role, which really is, I think, what the gospel, what Jesus in the gospel is foreshadowing. He's talking about. He's, mm. he's pointing to it. Mm-hmm. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, John 14 is still his long discourse during the Last Supper, after yeah. he's washed the disciples' feet and he's done all these things. He talks about, last week he talked in this long discourse about how um, he has to there to love one another, New commandment not as themselves, but as he loved them, which right. is much bigger. And then he says to his disciples, whoever loves me 
love me as I have loved you, which is to die to yourself, literally, right. will keep my word. If you have the guts to die to yourself, you're going to keep my word because they sort of go along with each other. That's what it means to keep my word is to die to yourself. Mm. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. We will tabernacle among him. We will come down to him in a certain sense. He's actually describing in a much simpler way what John is seeing in the eschatological vision. Right. We will come and tabernacle with him. And who is we? The Trinity, the temple of the Lord, God dwelling with man, all of heaven and an earth redeemed, reborn, refashioned, recreated, we will dwell with them. But what he's saying is, for the one who believes in me and who abides in me, that whole vision of revelation is actually present within you to a certain degree right here and now. You just can't see it yet. Mm. But it's already present. The veil has just not been lifted yet. It's not there in its fullness, right? Of course. It won't be till Jesus comes again. But he says, if you love me, then we will make our dwelling with you. We will tabernacle with you, which means we the heavenly Jerusalem will come to you. And you know how intimate sharing a tent is. Tents can be can be weird. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's close. I mean, to, to tabernacle is like yes. it is it's 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 really close. Yeah, it can be. We have a giant tent. We have an eight person tent from REI, which is really nice. Okay, yeah. But that's a different I don't think that's what the it big is. bertha or something. Yeah, it's awesome. But I've told you this while I'm with you, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's gonna teach you everything. He's going to, because basically what Jesus is still saying is you're, you're still going to have a veil over your eyes for a while. Right. I'm saying all this stuff to you and you're not going to get it. And that's okay. But I'm going to give you good pieces. I'm going to give you good pieces and eventually you're going to get it. And that's all right. I'm going to go away and I'll come back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the father. Because if I go to the father, you understand what's taking place. And what's taking place when I go to the father is that the liturgy will be completed. The sacrifice will be offered once for all. I will go sit at the right hand of the father. And it's just like you and you say mass every day when you sit down. It means the liturgy has been completed and he has been offered for all of our sins. Yes. So when you see me going and ascending to the right hand of my father, which will happen soon, you don't realize right now what an amazing thing that is, but that means you will have been redeemed and my dwelling will have come among you because I'm going to send the spirit and you won't see it yet. It's not going to be clear. There's still going to be a veil, but it's cool because eventually you will. Mm. That's a paraphrase. It's cool because you will. It's cool because you will, which is, which is, it's interesting because as I'm looking even back to the first reading, what I'm learning is that when we make openness to the others, it's actually teaching the same strength inside of us to be open to the pieces that the Holy Spirit is going to gather for us. To, it's actually teaching us in, in another to say, oh yeah, I must be reverent to the Spirit, to the mm. movements of God, so mm. that I can actually be taught and to receive properly yeah. from the one who loves me and wants me to actually get the pieces put together for what is to come. Right. To interpret together <coughs> in the midst of all of this in love to say, I'm going to, you're going to come back to me. That's it. And you're going to rejoice that I'm going to the father <coughs> because I am, I'm going to, so that when it happens, you can believe because boy, howdy, these pieces are complicated pieces. Yeah. Big time. It, it, it involves actually the fullness of our intellect. This is actually one of the things that I, that that like we, we were t you were you were mentioning like people who've come to the faith intellectually, yeah. like the reality is is that no matter your intellectual, just intellectually right just yeah. intellectually no matter your intellectual gifts, God is going to ask you to to actually submit the fullness of your intellect and your will to Him, yeah. and it's in that 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 
everything begins to be changed. That's why we have both the will and saying you have to do a couple Mm. of things to open yourself to your neighbor, but you also actually have to do a few things so that you can understand and you have to open your mind um, to the authority of the church, to the authority of the teachings that have been handed down by the, the amazing folks so that as we enter in and we see that all of creation, everything has been submitted to the Father and that all creation will sing and speak of his grace in the poem that will save your soul. Boom. Yeah. Take that. And that is, in a certain sense, the city. All of these pieces which have come together in God's glory. Right. That we see how they fit. I have a I have a vision of what it's going to be like, Scott. You and I talked for like two hours before the podcast mm, today. This is true, and um, and I, my vision is that because it's eternity, we're going to be able to actually have a full conversation about the entirety of every single person's life that oh, is geez. entered in, and we're going to be that able stresses to stresses me out a little bit. We're going to make the full <clears throat> connection of all of every action and grace that has been poured out by God with every person that has ever been over eternity to see and glorify God in each other's lives. Whoa. And that, 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 We're going to need a lot of coffee for that conversation. Dude, I, I think that uh, St. Drogo brought coffee <laughs> into heaven. Well, Guys, I have the carafe. Well, this, cause, well, this is the thing. I think you're right, because I think that the this is a very huge, crazy, strange aside. That Jesus in his resurrection is always like, hey, you know what? He got any fish or anything? He got hungry. He does. You guys got he's some. Always hungry. You know, like he's always eating something. No. So I think that the, the avocation of of um, of being a chef is actually going to be eschatological. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So every like effort that. that you learn how to cook well will mm. pay off dividends in heaven. They're going to love your guacamole in heaven. They're going to love your guac in heaven. That's the name of the podcast. Thank you for giving it. (laughs) My brother got stressed out the other week because because of Parkour for Jesus. Literally was in the very last minute of the podcast, so he was waiting for it. Where's it going to go? Oh, that makes me even happier. They're going to love your guac in heaven. Oh, Neil, that's just for you. Okay. God bless you all. We'll see you next time. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.